all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all so if you're ready to break the generational cycle of poverty, revolving prison doors, and a lack of education that's holding us all back, then now's the time to do something about it. So to move from gutter to greatness, it all begins with a change in mindset. Here's your host, Dr. Paul Miller. What up, what up, what up, everybody? So welcome to the second episode of The Gutter to Greatness. The Gutter to Greatness. We all know that it ain't where you started, but it's where you're at. And so I'm just here today to, uh, we're going to talk about a little education today for the episode number two. And, you know, education is a new form of civil rights, because if you get an education, that is how you are exercising your civil rights. That is how you change your mindset, because it's the greatest equalizer ever. And that is how you're going to move from the gutter to greatness and become educated. And educated doesn't have to mean the normal sense of the world where you have to go to college and you have to, but guess what? There's trainings, there's workforce development, there's other pieces that you continue to strengthen your mind and work that muscle. You know, the mind is the largest muscle in your body. And so the more you strengthen it, the stronger it gets versus, you know, it being weak and mushy, you know, same one who doesn't, some person who doesn't exercise for 10 years, you know, if you don't exercise your mind for 10 years, it becomes as mushy as your body. So listen up, black man. If you want to move from the gutter to greatness, you will have to start exercising your brain. It is not a four-letter word. It's not a bad word. Yes, exercise your mind. That's the four-letter word is mind and exercising it so you can be greater later. You know, just thinking about education. Education has changed a lot over the last couple of years, especially because of COVID-19, right? COVID did a doozy on education. So everything that was bad before education got worse because of COVID-19. You know, and I, I think about it and I think about it in terms of this roller coaster in New Jersey. I think it's called the King Dakar and it's in New Jersey. It's one of the tallest, longest roller coasters in the world. So imagine yourself going up 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet, 400 feet. You get at the top, you pause, you look down. And you know that pit of your stomach as you're sitting at the top of it. And you're thinking, what the hell did I just get myself into? And then you drop. And it feels like you're dropping to your death. Now, most people aren't going to die. But after that first hill, you're thinking then it's over. And then guess what? Additional waves come and you're going up the hills again and down the hills again. And it's going on forever. And that's kind of what COVID felt like. It was going on like it was never going to end. So Unfortunately, from COVID, though, many died, but many looked it in the face w without even fear. And I, I I remember I kind of minimized it at first. I think it was like March 13th of 2020. And they were saying, oh, we should close schools. And, you know, you're watching the news and you're trying to figure out. And I was the person responsible for whether or not I was going to close the schools. And I am like to play the tough guy role. I'm not closing schools for shit. And we're going to keep the school open. The kids need to learn. Kids got to be there. And everybody and their mama started closing. I think we even went home early that day and closed. And then we didn't go back into school 
for almost a year and a half. The rest of the school year, we didn't go back in. And then the next school year, we decided to go virtual too to, for safety reasons and because the CDC and all these other things. And and it just went on and on forever. Now, we actually did well during the pandemic, so I can't front. I got to give my team at my Green Tech family a round of applause because they, we held it together. And we actually saw, I think we did about 150 times better than the the traditional public school did at the time with learning. And this was based on data statistics at the time and, and other things. So we we kept learning going, but there still was gaps. It still wasn't as good as being in person with beautiful, lovely teachers. But, you know, the whole country was out of commission and it put everybody on their backs. You know, what's interesting is, is that this pandemic and you know when i think about it white folks faced a a few years of a pandemic but rich white folks were even able to use their privilege to keep kids in school after a while you know i think the initial few months everybody was out but then you know the private schools in certain states the texas's and the floridas they went back to school and did ran by some of our rich white republicans or or whomever right but the poor folks and poor black folks in particular have been facing a pandemic for over 400 years. So, yeah, you, you're like, oh, Dr. Miller, you talk about this pandemic. You talk about this slavery thing a lot, you know, and it's all the reason I'm talking about it is because it's a mindset and a mindset that keeps people trapped. And it's a mindset that keeps people trapped in the gutter. And so we got to understand it to get out of it. But I'm going to define pandemic. It's a widespread of infectious disease over a whole country or the world at a particular time. So there was 400 years of a widespread of disease and the disease spread to mindset of our people. The pandemic, the pandemic is racism and injustice, which is spread and taught disease. It was a disease that was taught for 400 years. So there's things that just need to reflect on, to think about and change. And so, yeah, the pandemic was affecting it. But that racist pandemic that we have felt and injustice that we have felt for 400 years has created some of the educational disconnect. You know, I think about it. So there was this meme I saw one time with two sprinters, right? And there was one sprinter that, let's say sprinter A. So sprinter A had his little little shorts on, little tank top, little headband on. He happened to be a white sprinter. And so sprinter A had had hurdles. And there was about five hurdles, five to seven hurdles set up before the finish line. And when you say go, they have to run as fast as they can, jump over these hurdles, because there's hurdles in everybody's life, right? And get to the finish line. So now the black sprinter, he has his little outfit on that similar to the white sprinter, but also had a 50-pound sandbag on his back. And then in between each hurdle, there was alligators, there were snakes, there were higher hurdles, there were barbed wire, there were there was something that was just different. And yet as a country, we expect hurdler B to get to the end point as quick or as fast as hurdler A. And then we make those comparisons and we wonder why it's not happening and we tell people to just get over it, go around it, get through it. You know what? That's good. Yeah, we need to. But if you don't acknowledge that those obstacles are there and you don't develop a strategy and a mindset to deal with that, that barbed wire, the alligators, is probably going to hurt you more than anything. Uh, 
and you're not going to get to the end in the same amount of time. So it's about doing something differently. It's about changing your mindset. It's about preparing, strategizing, and understanding that they're going to be there. And you know what? Running your own race. You can run your own race, and you don't have to run the same race that everybody else is running. You know, but we got to change the way that we're looking at things and the way that this country looks at things. And, you know, because at the end of the day, when you think about those 400 years, slaves weren't allowed to read and write. Why not? They would kill you for reading and writing because you could read a map and you can escape. Slavery ended. Jim Crow began. You think that someone said, let's give them a great education. Let's help them. No, of course not. Because an educated man is a dangerous man. So yes, I am dangerous. I am dangerous because I have an education, because I have a voice, because now I have a platform where I'm able to say these things and I'm hopefully able to change somebody's mindset because you are dangerous too, but you become more dangerous. Your pencil sharpens when you do the work to sharpen it. When you put the knife to sharpen the pencil or you put the pencil sharpener on it, you know what? It becomes, it goes from a dull to a dull utensil, to a very dangerous weapon. And that's what you need to become. But, you know, they provided us the bare minimums. Blacks in schools, they didn't get the same quality education as whites. You know, even facts right now, I believe 59% of black uh, males graduated nationally compared to over 80% of their white counterparts. I think in 2019-ish around, and going back pre-pandemic, you know, because after the pandemic, I know it's even worse, but 15% of black male eighth graders were proficient in reading and 14% in math compared to almost 45%, I think, of their white counterparts. 15% of the student population uh, is black, but account for nearly 40% of the suspensions in schools, 31% of the expulsions. In 2002, they said that 43 out of 50 states have overrepresentation of juvenile justice. 85% of Black youth were arrested and classified as learning disabled. 85% of the youth who, are, who have, are arrested have already been classified as learning disabled. So where are we failing our kids? In the 1950s, do you know that they had hearings at the third grade to tell you that whether or not the student, the Black student was going to be delinquent or not? Now prisons are being built off the fourth grade reading and math scores. So we're going to talk about school to prison pipeline probably next episode. But uh, who tucks their seven-year-old in and says, good night, honey. I love you. You know what? Don't be a criminal tomorrow. Like, you know what? I'm going to get my seven-year-old locked up. But they're building prisons based off of our kids now. Part of it is this school and this educational system failing our kids because our kids can't read and write the way that they need to. I used to get sixth graders come in and one group of sixth graders I had came in and this was recently, they came in and 50% of them, their reading and math scores were at a third, a pre-K to third grade level. And now mind you, my ninth graders that came in, 75% of them were at a fourth grade reading and math level. So they were being failed before they got to me. And that's why I had to open the middle school to do something different. Now, we changed that because those same sixth graders, 85% of those sixth graders, by the time they got to ninth grade, those same ones that were at a pre-K to third grade level, 85% of them passed the math, the science, regents exams, and got a science credit. So they were passing high school exams, getting high school credit. They weren't supposed to succeed. 
But it was my job, and I took it personally, to make sure that these young men succeeded in building systems differently. And so a lot of the education in our country needs to be done differently. And could our kids can succeed. Our kids can be taught how to learn and can be taught how to read and write and do math. But are you willing to invest in the time and the proper procedures and protocols to do so? Is your school willing to get the support that they need? Schools aren't building systems that work for the black and brown students, specifically our our young black men. You know, and a a researcher, I think research at Christie et al. said that in 2007, said that high and low dropout rates are correlated to school climate. Are you building a culture that's conducive for your kids to succeed? And so, you know, when the schools are built, and especially for black and brown folk, you need four pillars. And this is based on research, but also practice and experience. And, and you know, I've built my own system with this that work for schools and for education and for our black and brown young men specifically, but it works for all kids, is first a foundation on building relationships. So what does that look like, right? And so building relationships between teachers and students, between uh, administrators and teachers and between parents and school and community and building systems that work that are specifically geared towards targeting relationship building. A lot of it is going to be about also with the teachers, because I believe that teachers, kids can learn from anybody. Now, research shows that kids learn better from people who look like them, right? But I will say that kids can learn from anybody, specifically if those other people are willing to work on, reduce their bias, and create and replace it with cultural sensitivity and implement that into what they're doing. So that cultural awareness has to be there, and that has to be part of that relationship building. So part two is, you're teaching and learning practices. You know what? Is there good teaching and learning going on? And what does that look like from every, uh, you know, from lesson planning to lesson delivery to, uh, you know, a lot of teachers want to stop planning or want to use a plan that they used 10 years ago that they haven't tweaked at all because it worked 10 years ago. You know what? What does it look like? How do you manage your classrooms? But manage your classroom has to do it to deliver better teaching and learning. But it has to do with how you build a relationship. How do you build a relationship? Because you have to be respected as an educator before you're liked, especially in our urban environments, because it's the survival of the fittest. And our kids don't understand anything less. So if they smell weakness, they're going to eat you up like blood in the water. But to build education systems that work so we don't fail our kids, we have to make sure that we are desperately seeking to build relationships, teaching and learning. Third is how do we use data to inform instructional decisions? So, you know, so many schools, don't they talk about it, but they don't be about it, right? So you need to talk about it and be about it, but it needs a part, part of what you do. You need to break down students' failures to the lowest form and put in interventions that work and interventions in place to correct these failures and make sure that they're based off of relationships and based off best instructional practices, but that data has to be used daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. It has to be used in everything that you do. And the last piece that people don't like is how do you hold everybody accountable? So there has to be accountability for administration, for teachers, for parents, for community members. So parents, you don't get out of this because you're part of the problem. So that mental weakness, oh, you know what? I've had parents and, and that's the mental weakness that we've talked about in other episodes and some of the mental weakness where some of our black mothers, not all, but some of our black mothers, would they raise their daughters and love their sons. I've had young men come in and tear it up, turn up, mess up the club, tear up the club. 
and they i had this one young man he broke a glass a glass door we watched him do it on camera identified him on camera he admitted he did it his mother came in and said yeah that's not my son that's not him how do you know it's him and you say that parent that's not helpful and the parents who come in and do that that's not helpful that's that's helping to perpetuate the cycle of that gutter mentality that i'm going to get my son and protect him at all costs versus teach him to with the love and respect to do something different and better and make him mentally tough and accountable for his actions. So accountability is huge for all constituencies, including the community, parents, admin, teachers, you name it. Everybody's got to be accountable and building systems that work. So that's that's a little bit how we're fixing it. And we need to fix these systems for our kids because it's that's a huge piece here. Education is is the greatest equalizer. But if our schools don't do it differently, because every kid in America has one thing in common, they're supposed to be in school from the ages of five to 18, unless they graduate early. That's supposed to be what academic law, that every kid has to go through their K-12 education. It may look differently for different kids, but they're supposed to go to their K-12 through education. Do they always? No. But are they supposed to? Yes. So the school has the greatest opportunity to affect learning. Now, it's also composed with what you do at home and what you need to do. But how do we force the schools to take more responsibility and accountability? Stop hiding what you don't know and ask for help. Ask for some support. Build systems that work. Build winning schools. So I'm not just talking about it. We, we're being about it. We averaged a 95% graduation rate, 100% acceptance college, millions of scholarship money. And that's because we had a, a great team who was willing to work together to put all the idiosyncrasies of education aside to make sure that you put the best practices in for students that work and for students that look like me. Because I can't have one more kid die because they didn't get an education. And so we need you guys who are out there listening to take it personal. If your schools aren't working, if your schools aren't performing, if your schools aren't trying to get better, then you need to do something and say something about it because you're failing our black boys. You're failing our black kids, our brown kids. Something needs to change. And there's no way that they're going to be great without you. They need you. They need our educators. Our educators, especially our teachers, are the heartbeats of every school. That heart is beating. And you can't have, you can't, a body can't function without the heart. So we need our teachers and our educators. But if you're functioning at half capacity and you're not, your heart isn't in it, you probably need a transplant or to do something different. You know, we need that representation. But if we're, if we're really going to build excellence, like I said, we definitely need those four pillars are my strong, strong, strong recommendation. But again, I'm going to go back to the school of choice that, you know what, we it's hard to be great because competition builds excellence. So the more competition, the more options there are, the greater opportunities that there will be. You know what, we have to work to build these things specifically with school choice, there also needs to be better equity and funding. And you know what? The money should follow kids and kids deserve an education. So there's the same education that our kids get in the suburbs. Our government needs to step in, drop their institutional racism shit and biases and all those other things and provide the funding that is needed for our kids. But then the school's got to do their jobs with firm, fair, uh, consistent policies and expectations. You know, and this doesn't change. It's going to be hard for everybody else to change. But as my mindfulness moment, we need to also change. 
So we can't put it all on the school. It's the school's fault. The school didn't do this. The school didn't do that. Did you read to your kid last night? Did you sit down and, and work on something with them, even outside of your comfort zone? Are we putting good things into their brain? Are we exercising their brain muscles with what's needed? And we, as parents, we have to be responsible but as individuals. So if you're old enough, that means if you're 13, 14, 15 years old and you want to make a change, you have that ability to make that choice. So it's all cool, but it's not all the man's fault. So yes, we were slaves. Yes, the system, the system was stacked against us. Yes, we have, have a choice to care. You have a choice to care. Yes, education is the greatest equalizer. You know, I always felt like I wasn't necessarily good enough when I was going through school. Like even when I went to my doctorate, I didn't feel I was good enough. Like I didn't feel like I was smart enough. I'm this dude from the hood. I'm this dude from the gutter. Like I just didn't feel like I, I, I ended up in a cohort full of people that had like fancy job titles. I was that a decent job title. I think it was assistant principal. And they they had assistant superintendents, had companies, and the white folks in there, they, were, they always gave their input and were talking about all the things they knew and didn't know, didn't know. And, 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 you know, and I just felt small. And every class, the first couple of classes, I got smaller and smaller. And, but then I started to listen. And I had a dissertation chair that pushed me. It was a black woman who pushed me beyond belief. I mean, she made me redo my dissertation, my chapter 126 times. She said, I don't do raggedy, Paul. I don't do raggedy. Like, you're not submitting nothing raggedy. And I was like, okay, I got to do something better. I got to do something different. I got I, I to gotta put the work in. I got to figure it out. My effort had to match my ability. And so I put the work in. I wasn't naturally talented at school or naturally talented at learning, but I started working harder and harder. And I noticed that the white folks around me, they ain't no shit either. So uh, even though we wanted them to know, they didn't really know. Like I thought they knew, they didn't really know. So as I started to become more of their equal, and it wasn't that I was never their equal, but in my mind, I started to become more of their equal because I did the work and I started to have the confidence that I needed to show that I was their equal. And so I started producing and I produced work of quality. And I ended up with dissertation of the year. I ended up with a work that was widely used by colleges and other re research institutions across the world. And so I was always as good as they were. I had to believe that first. I had to believe it to achieve it. And then I had to live in my power, but I had to work for it. I had to work for it. And so the, the whole message of this point is it's in you. If you want to be great, the greatness is there. You are great. The, the greatness is in you. It's within you. you. It's around you. You have that glow to grow. But you got to find that glow and let it go because it's in you. So stop doubting it, believe it, and then work for it to achieve it. That's been episode two. Education is a new form of civil rights. Let's get educated. Let's make sure that the, we turn our excuses into our reasons. Peace till next time. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Talk to you later. That's it for today's episode. So head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing for a $25,000 private epic VIP day with Dr. Miller himself. Be sure to head on over to guttertogreatness.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Miller's gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>